That's right. You are listening to Dispatches from Planet Funk, a.k.a. the Aced Out Podcast. This broadcast is dedicated to all who the man tried to ace out by those who try to profit from the soul without stopping to give profits to the profits of soul. Talk. That is correct. My name is Ace Allen, a.k.a. Barack Wayne, and this is the Aced Out Podcast. I can never be brought to you by the letter P and sponsored by P-E-T-E, Pete, a.k.a. People for the Ethical Treatment of Ear Holes. And indeed, we are the Funkanaut family affiliated because funk is spelled fun with a K. And that's why it's pronounced funky. Right, Jay? That's right. <laughs> now, Jay, what did you think of that uh what did you think of that uh interview we did today with Rusty? Man, Rusty that Allen? that was like uh really eye-opening and historical uh just from my own standpoint just to learn the ins and outs of how things work on that major level that somebody was doing, you know, and and from you know the same city I'm, I'm I'm I was raised in. I know, right? You know what I mean. And yeah. take, I know what it means to take that bus from East Oakland all the way to West Oakland, get off, and then you know downtown and take that other bus going down there. So man, that's yeah. I can see your catching feelings when he mentioned that. That's some that's some serious <laughs> traveling. <laughs> and to let you guys know who we're talking about, we're talking about a man by the name of Rusty Allen, uh, who was bass player for Flying the Family Stone after Larry Graham. Um, I thought the best way to introduce who he is is to read this uh, quick passage from a book called I Want to Take You Higher, The Lives and Times of Sly and the Family Stone by Jeff Calise. On page 113 of that book, it goes a little something like this. Sly handpicked a replacement bassist, Rusty Allen, who'd been pointed out by Larry himself, that's Larry Graham, The young Louisiana native, now resident of Oakland, had experience playing with blues guitarist Johnny Talbot. You mentioned that. The Edward Hopkins singers and Vetstone's Little Sisters group. Mm -hmm. Rusty fit in quickly on Fresh, most memorably pouring out on the haunting bass line on If You Want Me To Stay. Rather than being controlling, Sly encouraged the tune's spirit and vibe, Rusty told Bass Player Magazine. He wanted me to be myself and put my nuances in the part. Rusty was influenced more by Motown stalwart James Jamerson's melodic techniques than Larry's percussive snap. The new recruit managed to blend the two. Although I've always been primarily a fingerstyle player, I was able to adapt, he pointed out. This is Rusty talking. It's sort of a light slap in which you hold your thumb perpendicular to the strings and using just the side of your thumb, you strike the string, sometimes using a little bit of your nail. You control the notes duration with your left hand. The effect helped morph Sly's sound from psychedelic funk towards Studio Rig Soul. Studio Rig Soul, I like the sound of that. <laughs> and explain to you once again who we are. Well, I'm Ace Allen. I'm sitting here with the band leader, uh, main pilot, founder, nutritionist from Funkonauts himself, Jay Stone. Jay, what uh, what album we got coming out? Man, we got the Bible coming out, the uh, basic instructions before leaving Earth. I'm actually here. Uh, oh, I get it. The Bible. The, it spells out the Bible. There you go. <laughs> I'm actually here coming through that uh, that time warp machine we got in the back. So I'm only here for a little bit because I got to go back and finish the rest of that mixing and mastering. 
All right. Soon to be out, like hopefully in uh, early 2019. Okay, great. In the meantime, brother's going to work it out. And we're going to talk to Rusty Allen, see what he's got to say. Rusty Allen, some fly in the family stone. Coming right up. Rusty, it's so great to talk to you. I've been wanting to talk with you for a long, long time now. Um, a lot of people talk about how they love Sly Stone. And a lot of time when they tell me their favorite song and they have to pick one favorite song, they always say, if you want me to stay. And I don't know if a lot of people know exactly who's playing on that. A lot of people heard the name Larry Graham. But you're the man in my book. And uh, I wanted to go back, first of all, to where you were born, how you got to the Bay Area, how you got into playing. Right. Uh, where did you Where did you grow up? We uh, kind of migrated from Monroe, Louisiana. I guess I must have been about five or six years old. Ended up in Alameda for a short time. My dad worked at the uh, Naval Air Station there. And uh, so we were kind of like in this like public housing thing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were able to get a small house in a community called Sobrandy Park, which is a uh, probably at the furthest tip of East Oakland, like around 106 <laughs> and East 14th. And uh, <clears throat> there I grew up. And how'd you get into music? You come from a musical family at all? or How'd none, you get into bass? None that I know of. I mean, uh, my mom used to tell me I had a great uncle or something that played a banjo or something, but I never, <laughs> I never knew. Uh knew him or knew about him other than what she would say. But um, I had a stepdad, <clears throat> and uh, he had a brother named MacArthur, and MacArthur used to come over to the house, and he would always have this little acoustic guitar with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he would play this little song on it, right? And so one night he was in the room with me, um, and he started playing the song, and then he said, he asked me, he said, could you do that? And I said, I don't know, let me try. And so I nailed it like the first time. And he just jumped up and went and shouted, Leela. That's, <laughs> that's my mom's name. Leela, you got to come in here. <laughs> and I guess that was the beginning right there. Wow. And uh, when you first started playing, like, who did you start playing with? Were you doing gigs? Were you like playing in a... Uh, local band with local kids well that came a lot later um i mean we're talking like eight or nine years old at that point you know and Mm -hmm. but i always remember i mean i was thinking about it on the ride here today like um and i just saw saw a copy of the album cover online but my mom and them would play like cards they would play whist and stuff you know and Mm -hmm. Back in those days, even when they had card games, they would get dressed up and they would like, you know, mix their drinks. It was kind of like a sophisticated thing right. to do, you know. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, wild and crazy like it is now. And mm-hmm. But she would never make me go to bed. She was like, you know, I yeah. just would be in front of the stereo fascinated. <laughs> and she would just let me stay there till I fell asleep. And I remember uh, distinctly B.B. Uh, King, I remember John Lee Hooker. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember uh, uh, Jimmy Reed. Mm-hmm. I remember Ray Charles, man. 
live in Newport. And wow. I never forgot that because the album cover had him and David Fathead Newman, who I didn't know at the time on the cover, and David was kind of touching him. And Ray was playing alto sax, man. And <laughs> to this day, it just blows my mind what he was doing on that horn. A lot of people don't even know about it. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was just fascinated with the music. Was it was coming out of Sobranic Park? Was it a lot of musicians even in that time? Yeah, it was a few guys in Sobranic Park that um, had electric guitars and they would sit on their porches and bring out their little amps and yeah. try to play Chuck Berry songs and right. everything. And <laughs> they let me hang out with them. One guy, Bert Taplin, another guy, Ronnie Duffy, and uh-huh. you know they had these bright red guitars. And I was like, man, it looks so cool, man. <laughs> Can I try right? <laughs> And they would let me, like, you know, try to play Chuck Berry songs. And soon, you know, soon after that, um, somehow I got my hands on a guitar. And yeah. Started from there. Wow. And uh, how did you kind of get noticed or around what was going on around the time before you started playing uh, sessions with Sly? Like, where were, where were you at right before then? How did how did how did uh, people pick you? How did they pick you out? How did they know who you are? What were you, where were you coming from at that time? Well, um, at that time, uh, we're talking around fourteen, maybe thirteen, fourteen. Um, <clears throat> somehow, I met some guys that lived in West Oakland, um, and we would, uh, you know, we would play behind these singers that were auditioning for these talent shows that you know, junior high schools and things like that. And there was a place on 58th in uh, San Pablo. It was a firehouse. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was, you know, firemen used to like be housed there. Somehow they left and whoever got the building would hold these auditions there. So, but my friends that were in West Oakland, Mickey Durio, Greg Crockett, I would catch the bus uh, from Sabrani Park. I'd catch the 83, and at that point, my mom had bought me a St. George Fender copy, jazz bass copy, and a, uh-huh. and a St. George piggyback bass amp. <laughs> I didn't have a car, though, so I had to put all that stuff on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and ride all the way from east to west. From East Oakland to 14th and Broadway and transferred to an 88, so oh. I'm, like, moving stuff, right? Jeez. Those were the guys I wanted to play with. Right. And they were in West Oakland. Nobody had cars and we were too young. So but I uh, ended up hooking up with those guys and we would uh play little talent shows. We'd go to Travis Air Force Base, they let us play out there, right. you know, and started playing, you know, little gigs and little talent shows. Oakland Auditorium, Edwin Taylor Memorial Hall and wow. you know, it was just it was just a learning process and one day, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, we were we did we were able to get a car at that point. So Dirk, Mickey Durio, and me and Greg we were riding down Sacramento Avenue, and I see this guy getting his shoes shined sitting outside, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, "Man, stop the car!" They're like, "What? Stop the car, man! That's Johnny Talbot." Mm. And so they pulled the car over, and I ran up to him, and I said, man, I want to play in your band, right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what, maybe 17? I'm not even out of 11th grade yet. Wow. And he's like, man, who are you? What's... <laughs> I said, let me play in your band. He said, okay. So he gave me his number and everything. And 
that was the beginning of my real first gig right there. All right. Wow. And then what was it around 72, 73, you hook up with the the family? Yeah, that came a little later. Uh, all up leading up into that point, um, yeah. I was playing with Johnny and, uh, you know, the Oakland um, uh, Renaissance was kind of cooling off. But, I mean, down on 7th Street, we used to go down on 7th Street to Esther's Orbit Room and uh, or audition, you know, singers and stuff and kind of like back up all the singers. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cotton Club had just closed. I mean, I mean, I came up in an era, man, where Oakland was really popping, man, and um, the Whispers were young, you know, the Ballads were young, mm. uh, Fred Hughes was young. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I was playing behind all of these people with Johnny Talbot at the uh, Sportsman's Club, which is now uh, uh, some restaurant on Martin Luther King right across from Children's Hospital, OVO or something. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, the Showcase, which was down on Telegraph and around 30, 31st, uh, right down the hill, hill from uh, Summit Hospital. I played in all these clubs, man. The uh, Reno Club in Richmond. The uh, There was a club in West Oakland on Wood and uh, Continental Club. Yeah. Played in all those places, man. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, you know, in sixth period in 11th grade, knocked out because I played in the club the <laughs> oh, night wow. before. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so... I had to do something about that, so I went ahead and uh, went to Dewey High School, which was a continuation school, By the and got yeah, and got my diploma in eleventh grade and got out of school, so I wouldn't be you know tripping like that. Right. I tell everybody I graduated from Castlemont because I did my <laughs> I did my uh, a freshman and soft sophomore and junior year there. Yeah. But uh, you're serious, man. So you're cutting your teeth, man. Yeah, man. I was playing with some great cats, man. I mean, uh, Layman Scott. Um, um, I mean, Gene Blacknell, uh, Cal mm-hmm. Valentine in the right kind. I was around all these guys, man. And like, I'm like a kid, man. I'm like, you know, wow. painting, you know, mascara on my lips. So I would look, <laughs> you know, and the bartenders would tell Johnny, don't let him nowhere near the bar because we're not losing our license behind this dude, right? <laughs> and man, I'm around these guys, man. I'm like, I'm, you know, we were wearing processes and stuff there, yeah. and, and there, there was the main, the main barber was AJ's Artistic Fingers down on Shattuck, okay. Okay. Uh, around 64th, and man, I see all these pimps come in there, and you know, I mean, they'd come to the clubs with their girls, man, and I mean, just that whole scene was just major, man, Wow. and I got to come up through that, you know, and playing music the whole time. And Are you playing guitar or the bass with all these? I'm playing bass at that, at that point. I mean, the bass came... Uh, later after the guitar because I really didn't know what a bass was. I just had a six-string guitar, and I played the first four notes because somebody had to play the bottom. Right. And Bert, <laughs> Bert or my brother would play, you know, the chords and everything. Mm-hmm. What was the um, – so when you come in, how do you come in? Like uh, who made the call to come play? Did it, Was it to go in the studio to record? Was it to do some shows? I'm talking about uh, right before Fresh was made. Like how how did you slide into that scene? After the Johnny Talbot era, um, I met a guy named Willie Sparks. He went to Castlemont too. Mm-hmm. Willie and David Stallings came to my house one one night and said, "Man, you need to come play with us." And I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> He's like, "Well, we're doing this thing, and you know, I know Freddie Stone." I'm like, "Really?" I mean, Freddie Stone? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, prior to all of that, I'm listening to Sly and Sabrina Park every night on radio, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Prior to all that, I'm seeing Larry Graham get out 
of his car and go visit his girlfriend right across the street. I didn't even know who he was. Yeah. I just saw this tall guy tall. <laughs> long carrying a long case. I'm like, you know. <laughs> so like I'm totally into Sly and his whole culture and, you know, his whole whatever. I mean, it's impromptu improvisation on air, everything. I was just like mesmerized by it. And <clears throat> so anyway, so like uh I said, okay, so Next thing I know, I'm up at Freddie's house uh, up in the Oakland Hills on Cameron. And Willie's got drums up there. And, you know, there's a bunch of gear up there. So we just started playing. And so Willie was trying to write stuff and trying to create funk, too, mm-hmm. based on his uh, exposure to Sly and the whole thing. I mean, he was like a nut about Sly. And next thing I knew, we were playing behind Little Sister. And that's when... Wow. I found out that, well, I guess I can do this. You know, I mean, it wasn't nothing that I just, you know, consciously pursued. It was just something that I was able to do. And uh, did they have you working out like established material? You know, like already in the set, or you start out working with brand new material? Well, with Willie, we were like trying to create our own stuff, but yeah. you know, uh, that evolved into, uh, you know, playing little sister songs. I mean. Edwin Hawkins, uh, that that was my first real, you know, recording session. I did my first records with Johnny Talbot. It was called Get Some and Take It Off and mm-hmm. got some really good airplay. Got to do some shows, opening for James Brown at the Coliseum. And, oh, wow. You know, we, yeah, we traveled and, you know, got to go to Phoenix, Arizona and play at a club on Buckeye Road. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I got a lot of exposure prior to that. Didn't. When I did the Edwin Hawkins thing, right, mm-hmm. we did the New World album, and I told Ed, man, I'm getting ready to go play with our little sister and, you know, going to Sly's camp. And I remember him telling me, uh, you just be careful, right? Uh-huh. You know, just words of wisdom. I said, okay. So next thing, you know, we're we're backing up little sister, and we're traveling around, opening up for Sly. We went to uh, Philly, uh, Seattle, a bunch of places, and, uh, you know, we opened up for Sly with little sister. Mm-hmm. And... Uh- where when you when Fresh was made, where was it re- recorded? Where was it recorded at? Well, Fresh was, uh, you know, a lot of tracks were already done uh, as far as drums and uh, keys and things like that. Um, okay. Uh, but uh, initially, all the recording that I did with with Sly on the Fresh record was done at the record plant in Sausalito and CBS uh, Studios in New York. Mm-hmm. So uh, New York was kind of like a uh, home base away from home, if you will, from San Francisco, and uh, we would fly back and forth. How did it, how did it feel the first time? Like, uh, did it click right away? Was it tough? Like intimidating? Was it kind of a, a weird vibe, a good vibe when you first came in? How how are you how are you doing when you first got in there? Did you get good feedback? I um uh, I wasn't intimidated by no means. I mean, you got to remember, man, my upbringing. Uh, my nurturing through Johnny and all that whole scene mm-hmm. uh, prepared me for just about anything because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, like I'm saying, the lifestyle of the, uh, you know, the pimps and the players and the club scene and the whole thing, seeing right. people get drawn on with guns and all that. I mean, I seen all of that wow. by the time I was 19 years old, right? So it wasn't too much that, you know, I hadn't been exposed to already. So, 
And then playing with little sister, it was like, you know, I felt good about what we were doing with Willie and the Wild Bunch, man. We, you know, after a while, Freddie, you know, heard us and like, okay, you guys going to be Lighthouse for the Blind. And I'm a, I'm a, you know, oversee this whole project with you and little sister. And next thing you know, we were doing gigs as Lighthouse for the Blind. And, and man, it was like different and new and fun, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, my whole thing was James Brown and James Jamerson, man. And, you know, tripping on him, playing Shooby Dooby Doodah Day with Stevie and listening to all that stuff he was doing. Right. You know, and, but then this pop thing came along, you know, and it's like, wow, right. man, that's cool. So, uh, so I distinctly remember being up at Freddie's house one day and out of the blue, Sly and Bubba show up, right? Wow. And, uh, I remember, uh, I had to go to the bathroom. So I walked down the hallway, and as I was coming out, Sly was coming right towards me down the hallway, right? And I just walked past him. (laughs) (laughs) I just walked past him. And next thing, in the next couple of seconds, I heard him say, Bubs, man, dude didn't even look at me, man. (laughs) So he knew something right then. You know, right. I established myself right then. Okay, you slide everything, but yeah. you know, no, man, you know, yeah. you know, we have to respect each other, right? Uh-huh. I'm not going to just bow down because you slide, right? Right, right. And, That's cool. Yeah, and man, our relationship got so close, man. It was like, he was almost like a guardian to me. Right. Wow. Wow. And uh, did you, you had a good friendship with uh, Freddie too? You had a friendship with Freddie? Absolutely, or? yeah. I mean, you know, I had more encounters with Freddie before yeah. Sly because, like I said, Fred, we were up at Freddie's house rehearsing with little sister and the whole thing. And you got to bear in mind, too, Larry lived down the hill on Malcolm. So mm. uh, between Freddie and Larry, uh, we were, like, you know, recording and stuff. They had those little Sony sound-on-sound recorders at that time, a little quarter-inch reel to reel, and you could kind of, mm-hmm. like, you know, do a little overdubbing. It was, like, maybe four channels, four tracks. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And between Freddie and Larry, we'd go down to Larry's house, too, me and Willie and David, and Larry would have have a groove. Okay, here it is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And we'd play the groove. Lenny Williams would show up and sing us some stuff. We would do wow. some... We would do some rearrangements of uh, uh, some Al Green stuff or whatever, but we would like put the funk pop stuff on it and yeah. change it up. So you know, even with Larry, I mean, our relationship was great even before I even got in the band. And okay, and, and Freddie had a lot of respect for me because they both knew, even Sly knew, my upbringing through Johnny Talbot and that whole mm-hmm. Oakland scene. Right. Because you got to bear in mind, Johnny Talbot uh, was probably one of the premier funk groups in the Bay Area. I mean, he was holding down, holding it down on the radio and on right. the live scene. Sliding then, we used to come hear Johnny play because mm-hmm. he always had a two-piece minimum horn section and they were playing funk men that you wouldn't believe today. Mm-hmm. You know, and Sly, you know, he understood and felt that and he wanted to emulate what that was in his way. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, Johnny was no joke, man, you know. Wow. And so, you know, they had a respect for me based on my background. Mm-hmm. And that background, that nurturing has really got me through to this point that I'm with you now. Taught me how to be a musician, taught me how to survive, taught me what it, what it is to 
you know, operate in this whole thing with some integrity. My only problem was I had no care or no concern about the business side of things. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, right. a kid in a candy store. I just want to play this <laughs> funk and get the feeling from it. You know? <laughs> of course. So, yeah. So That's how they get you, though. Yeah. Nice. Oh, my gosh. This is so beautiful. Yeah. You guys were talking to Rusty Allen, legendary funk bassist. He's got his uh, album, Simple Rules. Uh, want to give the uh, engineer a heads up. I want to talk through and listen to some of your music, man, from that time. Uh, first tune we're going to listen to a little bit of and talk of, talk about on the other side is In Time. What a appropriately named song, In Time. Yes, sir. Um, Let's check it out, and uh, we'll talk about that on the other side. Okay. Okay, I already got like too many questions to ask about that. <laughs> First, okay. First thing, okay. I know that there's like um there's like a uh an overdriven, like a distortion based track. Yeah. Like in certain like turnarounds. Right. I was gonna ask that. Is 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 that you too? No, that's sly. That's sly playing that. Wow. So you add that little so and then um That's that fuzz tone thing that mm-hmm. you know him and Larry used to do, you know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, it really stood out in the phones. I've listened to that so many different ways, mm-hmm. like through my, you know, little Getter Blaster headphones and right. stuff like that. That really came out through the phones. One thing that always gets me about these tunes that I want to ask you about is um, they really seem to be worked out as far as the dynamics of each part. Like when songs start off, it starts off at a certain, it's really funky, but it's a little held back in the dynamics right right then it seems like once the vocal kicks in like the instruments also push a little harder right which by the way they don't have nowadays at all with all you know everything's computerized you don't have that stuff right right that's some that's something you must have worked out right well no that's you know that's just the genius of sly and how a lot of that was just spontaneous and it it just went down that way i mean Mm. with his horn lines you know i mean that right there escalates what's happening right mm-hmm. right away. But when his vocal comes in... How, how's that? With the, you say the horn line escalates things? I mean, yeah. I mean, if you listen to the track, um, their first statement, da 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 pop! I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what is that? I mean, you know, I'm saying that's that's something that makes you perk attention. up right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. That's Yeah, I guess that your attention. That makes you pay yeah. attention. Yeah. Right. 
and his, and that's like enhancing his vocals. So, but no, it wasn't worked out. It just happened that way. Mm. Were those lines? Were you guys recording that like they would have been in the other room, and was it all live like that, or were those those horns overdubbed? Um, it was that song. Everything was live. Uh, the only thing that was already laid was wow. that, was the drums. Uh-huh. Oh my god! And is that uh, first? I got two questions. What is the funk box? The organ, uh, drum machine in the organ. That was one of those. Um, what do you call it? No, it wasn't a drum machine in the organ. It was a. Uh, god, what was the name of that thing? Um, I can't think of the name of it, but it was it was. Uh, external it was uh-huh. its own unit i seen um patrice playing it yeah we we blacked her up rhythm king rhythm, rhythm king. king okay that's what it was is, and is that playing at the beginning of that yeah uh-huh. yeah that's the rhythm king um <laughs> and uh that don't make that, that was down that was kind of like basically the click track if you will yeah yeah and uh that tune i know well i've heard i don't know if you heard i heard that miles davis made like his band like listen to this song over and over again for like an hour or something as like a lesson mm, in the funk <laughs> yeah like, like <laughs> yeah and i know that 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 tune is such a great album opener but i know it just gets musicians especially every musician i know like really trips off this tune yeah you know uh barry uh freeman my uh, manager um he always tells me that the fresh album was more or less the musician's album mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. more than any of the other ones. And yeah, you're right. I mean, Miles, um, I had a relationship with Miles because of that record. And mm-hmm. I remember one night we uh, were in New York hanging out and me and Freddie were, you know, trying to find out, you know, figure out something to do. So we said, let's go to Miles' house, right? So Uh-oh. so we went, <laughs> we went to Miles' house and um, we started knocking on his door. And um, I don't know, it's like, I remember Miles lived in this compound. It was like he almost owned the whole city block. And uh-huh. there was a front door and everything. But then once you got inside, you were like outside again. It was like <laughs> you, were in this, you were in this park. You a know? gate and, in a gate. Yeah. But we started knocking on his door. So like we were like, me and Freddie were simultaneously playing his door like we were playing congas, right? And we must have played for about, 30 or 40 seconds and then finally Miles opens the door and says man that was some of the funkiest I ever heard in my life and and from there it was like you know man uh, Miles would uh, drive me around in this Ferrari and man I gotta get you to play on something and I'm like cool whenever you know Um, how how come he didn't get you in the studio I don't know I guess it just never came Came to pass. I guess it wasn't meant to be. I, ah, I was ready, but yeah. you know, you know, things have to happen. Yep. The way they happen, and not be forced. You know. They sh- they sure do. Me. I'm just getting the, the mental image of uh, Miles on the other side of the door, listening to your uh, both of you guys like rap on it. It's right. priceless. I can just picture him standing there tripping <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I I remember like you know Miles had broke his legs. Remember that? Yeah. 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 I remember that. Yeah, he had broke his legs. And uh, one night, I think we were at CBS hanging out and getting what, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he was giving me a ride back to the hotel, man, in this little Ferrari, right? And, man, that guy was like flooring it between signal lights. You know, New York has like got a signal light at just about every block, right? Yeah. 
And I'm like, God, please get me out of this car, man. I mean, I understand why. <laughs> I understand why he broke his leg, man. Dude's wow. a nut, man. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, yeah, me and Miles were cool, man. What color was this Ferrari? It was white. White. Wow, man, that's a contrast. And I, I remember, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. Uh, <laughs> I remember one night in, uh, at Sly's apartment in Central Park. Um, we went to Sly's apartment and. Uh, Miles came in. Me and Miles came in, and Sly was in the back room, and so Miles looked at his organ, and Miles started like playing his organ, right, and you know, developing these like uh, chords, man. You know, mm -hmm. eight nine note chords with okay. flat nines and thirteenths, and uh -huh. and man, Sly busts out of his back room, man, and just like, who in the f is this on my <laughs> organ? <bro?" laughs> and to Miles, to Miles, man, he was like. Get to <laughs> playing that voodoo. And, and Miles was just like shocked and was like, and so was I, man. I'm like standing there wide eyed. Get to out of my house, right? And so Miles left, right? And I was like, Sly, man, that was Miles you was talking to. I don't give up. <laughs> man, it was crazy, man. It was crazy, but. You were all letting each other know, like, hey. Wow. I know who you are, but I know who I am. Yeah, man. But I mean, Sly. I mean, I think he was kind of serious about that vibe on his organ, man. Uh -huh. I don't know. It freaked him out, huh? Yeah, I guess it did. Well, he did like those spooky chords. He liked to hit those spooky chords. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, we used to go see Miles at the Fillmore West, man. Um, with the, um, you know, the uh, Bitches Brew Band, man. Mm. Dejanette and Dave Holland and all them uh. cats, man. Chick Corea and Herbie, all them was up there. Wow, dude, that's a band, man. Yeah, and like I said, man, I mean, I got exposed to a lot, man. Prior to Sly, man, we'd see B.B. King there. We'd go wow. see uh, Buddy Miles Express, man, uh, Miles Davis, Aretha, everybody, man. We'd go to the Fillmore West and check them all out, man. Take some mescaline, man, and go absorb it. <laughs> <laughs> so in any of those sessions that y'all was doing, would, would Sly or anybody be like, let's kind of get that vibe like you might have seen at any one of them shows or something? No, not at all. It would just all. be like so... So organic, yeah, in just, the studio, absolutely, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like in time, man. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I think that might have happened in no more than two takes. Yeah, wow, that's how you do it. Yeah, we're, just, we're gonna keep it moving. Uh, let my engineer know we're gonna go to the next song now. Uh, next song I mentioned before, because it's kind of considered like a standard now, the way the way it's known and people cover it, people play it. Uh, if you want me to stay, I'm talking about. And uh, let's listen to a little bit of that tune and talk about that on the other side. And we're going to keep it moving, talk about some other tunes as well. This is great, having Rusty Allen. Thank you. Take me for granted 
I know that was George Clinton's favorite song. I know that I know George was all about that song. He even got uh, what's it? He got the Red Hot Chili Peppers to to cover that on oh. the Freaky Style album that he produced. Wow. Uh, that that album. See that album seems almost like. I guess you're saying a lot of this stuff happens by osmosis. That almost seems like the bass is kind of like the lead that all the other instruments are playing around. Like that's the main. That's a very distinctive lick, especially how it starts off. Yeah. Well. Uh. Yeah, Sly was very uh, bass oriented. Um, mm-hmm. um, I mean, even with Larry's influence there, uh, Sly had a lot to do with that too. You know, I mean, Larry had a great feel, a great ear, and everything else too. But, but he was very involved with bass too. Yeah, Sly, Sly man, I'm telling you, man. Uh, when I was a kid, man, I used to listen to Sly on the radio. Man, he put out a record called Buttermilk, right? Mm-hmm. And the bass line was very simple, but but his tone. And the vibe that he got was just immaculate. And he took a bass solo on it, too. Mm. Uh, Buttermilk? Might, Buttermilk. I got to check that out. Have, yeah, you might want to listen to that. I mean, that was one of the one of the uh, first cuts that he did. It was just an instrumental. And all he, all he would say was, let me have a glass of Buttermilk. <laughs> <laughs> but the groove was killing, right? Also, another song that Sly did where he played organ bass, pedals, and left hand was a song uh-huh. called Rock Dirge. Rock Dirge. D-I-R-G-E. Right. And it's just like a groove, man, but, you, you know, you see where he got his bass vibe from. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, if you want me to stay, uh, uh, actually, there's like two basses on there. That's I'm like underlying what he did, but, uh, but his influence is over the top. And that song uh, basically is a cover of a song called Sonny. Mm. Oh, right, Sonny, yeah. It's the same, same chord? Same chord progression. Oh, I never thought about mm. that before. Same chord progression, and that's how that came to pass. Oh. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. And that, that was like the big the big uh, standout for everybody in that album. But I, there's some other songs that I really like that you played on that I want to check out. Um, the next one I want to check out is uh, Let Me Have It All. Let me have it all. Yeah, one of my favorites, mm-hmm. man. Is that one of your favorites? Mine too, man. Let's take a listen to that and talk about that on the other side. You have turned into a Who's playing the drums on this? 
Man, this is Andy Newmark, man. This is Andy Newmark. Man, look. That cat, man. It was so easy to play with him, man. I mean, he knew how to play funk, man. I mean, mm. I mean, that's real funk because not only is he playing the groove, but, but he's accentuating, you know, holes at the right time. Right. He's accentuating the horns. He's popping. I mean, golly, man, you know. Well, that's funky. I had such a great time with him, and I don't think there's been nobody before or after. I'm saying before or after Andy Newmark. Wow. Did you get, uh, I'm interested in stuff like this, man. Did you guys like get to stand close to each other while you're recording? Like when you're recording, are you in the same room as the drum kit? Uh, uh, sometimes uh, the drum kit would be, I, in most cases it would be separate. You know, it mm -hmm. would be like, you know, like, like this room. studio set up like yeah. this, right? Uh, but, you know, we'd have eye contact and everything, but, right. but everything was live. Like the guitars were here, the acoustic mm -hmm. bass amp over there, and mm -hmm. Sly standing in the middle, you know. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, that song right there, uh, I remember Sly gave me an acetate uh, pressing of that and said, okay, do this, right? And so I put the, uh, you know, the acetate basic thing. pressing of what? Let beat? me have it all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he embellished what I did. Got it, got it, got yeah. it. it. When it starts off, it's almost like a, like you know, it's funky. It's, it's like it's almost like uh, tricky to find where the one is when it, in the very beginning. How it starts off like that. Yeah, that's 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 the genius of Andy, man. I mean, yeah. he play across four a lot, you know, mm. and uh, <laughs> and his turnarounds would like start right on the downbeat, or, you know, sometimes. And it's amazing that that would kind of like, you know, like where's everything at, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then Sly had his, you know, he had his like way of doing stuff to make you ask that question as well where where is it and then finally bang you know you could see i could see how really the musicians must really catch a thrill because especially on that on that song like the vocals really sell it uh they really push especially on the choruses with the backing vocals like see and there it is again ace i mean it's like you know the music starts but then when the vocal comes in, it goes to another level. Then mm -hmm. when the corns come in, that's that's it. I mean, yeah, right. this is what you're gonna get, right? We're gonna give you another verse of that, and you know, every time it comes around, there's gonna be something else going on mm -hmm. to enhance what you heard a few minutes ago. You know, and that was just his genius, man. It's like a feedback loop. It's like a feedback loop. Uh, let's. I want to try out one more from this. Uh, keep on dancing. Another aptly named tune. Let's right. take a listen to that and talk about that on the other side. Dance to <laughs> the music. Dance to the music. Dance to the music. Dance to the music. Keep on dancing to the music. Keep you notice there's not even a backbeat yet. Uh huh. Mm -hmm.
First of all, what an interesting idea. That is really unusual, man. The whole, just the whole concept of the tune. Mm -hmm. And everybody, everybody's like, it's like everybody's a drum on that song. All the instruments. Who's, who's doing the guitar on that? Is that Freddie? That's Freddie, man. Uh, That's, if you listen to what he's doing, he's like. Tasty. Just, you know, just. Yeah. I'll just end it like that. But I mean, that's one of the first songs that's just, you know, pretty much entirely in cut time. He's got a cool wah wah. That, you know, he works a wah wah. Yeah. But that song is in cut time. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And that's crazy right there. I mean, who would try that? You know, but man, that cat, something else, Do you still have that bass that you recorded these with? Man, I don't know what happened to them bases. Uh, <laughs> Somebody asked me that the other day, man. Yeah. It's like, man, I wish I knew, man. I bet. You know, but so, uh, jazz bass. Yeah, those are all jazz bases. Uh -huh. Um, when you uh, so you say like, okay, we did that in one take, two takes. So does that mean you rehearse this stuff a lot before you do it, or is everybody just so like in tune, like the song just kind of works out well? Because the arrangements just sound so. It sounds really free, but it sounds really good. Like you guys really know what to do and at well, what time. Well, yeah, they. I mean, that horn section, they knew what to do. I mean, they've been with Sly the whole time, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like just a matter of him giving them parts, and they're going to execute them the way they're supposed to be done. And uh, as far as the rhythm section is concerned, like you know, Sly might you know say something to me in my ear. This is what I want you to do. Basically, what whatever and we would just do it mm -hmm. and we just would just come out a lot of times sly would take what i thought would be just an outstanding um uh outstanding uh finalization of a song and yeah. say okay i'm gonna change that and i'm gonna change that right you're like ah oh. <laughs> yeah i mean man what else could you do this to make this better but he always did it man yeah yeah wow but he always did it, huh? I always did it, man. Wow. Um, I want to get into one of my one of. I mean, everybody knows Fresh. Everybody loves Fresh, but I really like uh, I really like Small Talk album, right? And the tunes you play on, I want to talk to you about. Now, Small Talk's the album that came out after. Did the small how do, how was Small Talk received from your point of view when it first came out? Uh, compared to fresh I, I don't i don't think it had as much impact um yeah. uh, it so was so hard to believe man it's so good yeah it was it was still significant i remember uh uh a lot of the uh clubs and uh little restaurants and stuff had jute boxes and and uh small talk was on their playlist right mm -hmm. but as far as radio airplay i don't think it received uh is proper, you know. It's almost like standards have changed. By today's standards, it's like one of the ma most amazing thing you ever heard. But maybe at that time, there's so much good music. I don't know. People slept on it. I don't even know what to say about that. What I would like, what I want people to listen to now, people listen to this podcast, is check out this song, "Time for Living." Time for Living is one with you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to make sure I'm right. Time for Living. Uh, let's listen to this song and hear what's going on here because this is one of this is one of my all-time favorite Sly and the Family songs ever. It's Time for Living. Let's check that out.
I like how he says, if I have to, I'm going to yell in your ear and then... Ah! Um, what, when, did, when did it come up? Or uh, So this is the album. This this album has violin. This viol- this album has violin in every song. Sid Page. Correct. I think it's cool as hell. It's not disco violin. <laughs> it's like almost like... Uh, it's it's funk. It's funk violin. And, uh, it sounds beautiful. I love this tune. When when did this whole when did he say okay we're gonna have violin in every tune or when, when how did that work out? Um, I don't know. Somehow Sid Page ended up in the band and uh, I remember uh, over at the record plant we started doing this record and uh, uh, Ed Bogus uh, kind of like did all the uh, chart arrangements. He uh, did a lot of chart arrangements for, mm-hmm. for Peanuts, uh, you know, legacy thing, and. Um, but man, uh, Sly was experimenting with some new stuff, man. And she said, I guess I'm going to take some strings and write for two or three parts and see what that what happens with that. And man, you hear what the result was. That record right there, man, would bring up so much emotion in me, you know, mm-hmm. more than fresh, man. I mean, what he was saying, the feel of the record. Yeah. And, uh, what, what was going on at the time and yeah. everything, you know. It's definitely got a vibe like 70s, you know. I'm getting like superheroes, good times, Sanford and Son, you know, all them images. Yeah, and I mean, and then like just like the chord progressions and mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. strings along with that stuff. I mean, it's very emotional, man. You yeah, know. yeah, very, that, very bluesy, very you know, very deep, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And th- that song, uh, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you say that because sometimes I thought it was just me, man. This song, this song is just like the the chord changes and the groove. They really like kind of give you almost like a like a feeling in your chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of gospel influence in mm-hmm. that too, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. one has a crazy turnaround. Uh, it's, you know, starts off with the time for living, the chorus, I guess. And then when it goes into those verses, that turnaround is interesting. Yeah. What is that like off it, time or like that, a time? No, it's just like, you know, he plays one, two, three, and then he hits four uh-huh. at the change. And then one comes along. So he's already at the chord on four. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's wow. crazy. Is that uh, Newmark again? Uh, yeah, that's Newmark. Wow, man. Uh, no, I, that's Lorden. That's Lorden. I'm sorry. That's Lorden. Bill Lorden. Bill, Bill Lorden on the drums. Yeah. How, how is he as a, a drummer? Did you Is that playing live again, doing this album? Is it done the same way? Yeah, pretty much. Um, is this at the plant? Uh, yeah, this is at the plant. Um, uh, some of this went down at uh, uh, that studio in Santa Monica with Roger Dollarhide. Um can't think of the name of the studio right now. Um, but, Santa Monica? Yeah, it was on Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, Roger Dollarhide was the engineer. Um, can't think of the name of the studio right now. But some of it was done down there. Mm-hmm. But but as a drummer, I mean, Bill was funky and everything. Um, but like I said, I mean, nobody before or after Andy in my book. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, Want to check out one more from there. Uh, this has got a, a wild vibe. This is beautiful. This is also about living. We're going to listen to Living While I'm Living. You got that? So we have time for living. Mm-hmm. Now, Living While I'm Living. And we'll talk about it on the other side. Oh, 
Ah, that song makes me just run down. Wants me, makes me want to run down the street. <laughs> With my, hey everybody! Hey, Mr. Postman! Wow. <laughs> were you guys were you guys playing shows in between all these sessions? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, we were doing shows. We were still traveling and uh. Because it's mean, so tight. Yeah. Sly. Tight. Sly was. I know. You know, he was like doing that way before I got in the group. Yeah. I mean, they'd go do a show and man get off and then go to the studio at three in the morning and right. start recording. Wow. Know? That's the way I mean, to That's live. the best way to do it. Yeah. That's, you, uh, you know. He just had so much in him, man. Yeah. yeah so much in him. But man, that, that song again right there, man, there's those gospel overtones. There's mm-hmm. that cut time thing. And man. That's the. Sh- that's not. That song is a perfect example of what I was talking about before where even though it's like a quick pace, it just kind of like, it's kind of like the song is starting up. Uh-huh. It's a little like low and you can hear almost people like clearing their throat, like talking. Right. <laughs> then it goes through a section where it's like maybe medium volume. And then right when those vocals come in, everything just pushes out like, ah! explosion man yeah man like the the dynamics are so powerful man people don't even know anything about dynamics these days you you guys have the dynamics down Mm -hmm. and and sly also had a knack for like accentuating those dynamics at Mm -hmm. the board Mm -hmm. you know i mean he would like ride yeah he'd ride those faders man and you know bring something out you know bring it back you know he was killer with that stuff man i saw in the the credits on this album that it lists Freddie Stone as co-producer. So he's was that was he really involved with a lot of how a lot of things were going down when you were recording tracks or? Uh, that was like a little bit later. Uh, I remember uh, he uh, had a lot to do with organized, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he had a lot to do with that. Um, he should have been getting a lot more dues, uh, respect to him in that area, much much earlier. Yeah, because he had a lot to do with stuff, man. He really did. What kind of stuff would? be like freddie's angle or what would he bring to the table well i mean um first of all his vocal man and yeah. you know his guitar playing um mm-hmm. if he would have been allowed to uh maybe even some different chord changes you know uh he he brought a lot man but you know he was respectful of his brother he knew his brother you know yeah. had the formula so you know, if he was asked to do something, he would do it. You know, other than that, he would just, you know, stay in the cut. Yeah, I'm a big Freddie Stone fan. That's why I ask. I really like his tone and his, like you said, his singing and stuff like that. Uh, later on, when we went to uh, Motown, uh, uh, Freddie had, uh, and myself, we did some stuff for the Temps and everything. And uh, Freddie was doing a solo record, man. And uh, he uh, recorded a song called uh, How You Like Me Now. And mm-hmm. man, I don't know. How to get that? But if you could listen to that, mm. you would be like, "Wow!" <laughs> <laughs> You'd gonna, be like, "I like you a lot, man." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try to check that out then, man. Yeah. Um, okay. Speaking of, you mentioned organized before, so we're gonna go. So on the next album that was put out. Uh, now I have uh, that the album's high on you, but when I was communicating with you before we set this up, I think did you. Rusty called this Green Eye Monster. I'm not, you know, I think I did, but I'm not sure. Was that the title of the album before it was uh, settled on? I'm talking about High on You, everybody. Okay, uh, you know what? I might have got confused on the album title. I know there is a Green Eye Monster, right? Or is there a a song, I think? There's a song. Okay, I was going to say, because I love that title. Yeah, (laughs) that song is bad. Yeah, but I mean, 
I'm, I wasn't quite oh, got you. Right. clear I got on the you. album. Got you, got you. Got you. Which, which album is organized on? On High On You. High On You, okay, that's and right. And speaking of that, let's listen to that, because that song, we need that song today more than ever. What a perfect <laughs> right. song for 2018. Uh, let's check out, you know, right? Yes, sir. Let's check out Organized. Check out this groove. This is a hell of a bass line. Why? Uh, it seems so. You're you're winding up unless were you fading out of wanting to be part of the team or? Yeah, that uh, was uh, that was getting to to be the point to where it was like time to go. Mm-hmm. What yeah. were some of the stressors made you say like, okay, I got to get out of this? thing? Well, the, you know, I was like, you know, checking out how uh, Sly was reacting to. Uh, being late for shows and how mm-hmm. he was getting to the point where he didn't actually care if he was late or even showing up and mm. how the drug culture was kind of like taking over. I mean, um, I mean, that was going on the whole time, but I mean, it was more controlled. Uh-huh. And then um, when the PCP came on the scene, it was Uh-oh. time for me to go. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. Is that, was that cut done for this? So was this something done from Small Talk, and then it came out later? Is that no, no, this, no. This, this was, was a new project. Yeah, this was a whole new thing. And uh, actually, Freddie was responsible for that song in particular. He gave me the bass line, and ah. uh, uh, the drummer, this guy named Michael, I can't remember his last name. He's a friend of Cynthia's who lives in Sacramento. Okay. And he just fell into that groove, man. He was able to play it, man. And <laughs> I mean, not that he was the greatest drummer or anything like that, but he could play that song. That was yeah. the song. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it ended up great. Beautiful, man. Yeah, I love that song. We need that song more than ever. And the, again, with the the backing vocals on that, telling you to organize. Uh, who's on that? Who's else? Who's singing on that? That's Freddie. Um, that's all the girls. Tiny, I bet, everybody. Mm. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Um, wonderful, man. We're going to, um, actually, what we're going to do now we're going to put up a, a new tune by Rusty off the Simple Rules album. Uh, we're actually going to listen to a song called That Thing You Do. What can you tell us about this song? Um, 
It was um, just an idea that I had. I mean, I've never considered myself a songwriter or tried to even think about doing a project mm. till till now. And I'm like, well, why not? You know, um, can't hurt nothing. So uh, I had put this little hook together and I had asked Bobby if he would sing on it. And he agreed. So uh, we drove down to L.A. and went to... Uh, Michael Jackson's old studio and went in there and he just killed it and the result is what you're going to hear. Wow. And Bobby, we're talking about Bobby? Womack. Bobby Womack. Womack. Wow. Nice. Yes, sir. <laughs> just want to make sure people understand when you say Bobby, we're talking Bobby yeah, Womack. Womack. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. So we're going we're gonna to check out this tune and on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit more about Rusty's career before we let him. I could talk to you like for all day, all night. Oh, my. So uh, we'll we'll try to we'll try to keep it tight. <laughs> All right, but, but uh, let's let's listen to that. So that's that thing you do featuring Bobby Womack. This is Rusty Allen, and on the other side, we'll talk some more. That's Rusty's. That's some of Rusty's new stuff here, and he's selling it. And it's simple rules. And we're gonna play a little bit more from that as well. Uh, by the way, you guys, uh, Mr. Rusty oh. Allen also used Allen Eden five-string sonorous basses, and uses Bartolini pickups. Yes, How are those sir. pickups working for you? I love them, man. Um, getting a nice tone out of the bass. Um, uh, being able to like pretty much duplicate what I try to do in the studio. Um, on that song, I was trying to um, get that uh, if you think you're only now type of vibe, you know, along mm -hmm. with that bluesy Johnny Guitar Watson thing, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and um, 
combining key bass with electric string bass and trying to mix those together to get that nice edge on the bass and still have that low, low end sub sub right. thing. There's a nice groove. Yeah. I, I like the way they blend it. Yeah. Piano yeah. is nice too. Uh, we did a remix of that. I may uh, uh, release a little later for the live show. Uh, Levi Caesar, who plays guitar for the New Power Generation, yeah. he was Prince's Ooh. right in man. Yeah, we did a remix and it kind of like featured a little bass solo and stuff and right. it, it worked really good. So Who's singing the, uh, the female part? That's Emily Maloney. Where she is, I have no idea. <laughs> Where are you, Emily? Hello, Emily. Yeah, but man, she, she was so soulful. She used to come to a little club that we used to play in, in Oakland called Rumors. Uh -huh. On Seminary and MacArthur oh, Boulevard, man, <laughs> yeah. and we play there every Sunday. She come in there and sing and just kill it, man. I mean, she is so soulful. Nice. Uh, cool too. Going back um, to after, so after Slide Days, Rose, Rose Stone, she puts out a a solo album, but goes under the name Rose Banks. Exactly. Yeah, that's. Uh, what was the story behind? Banks, is that like a contract thing? No, no, no. That was uh, uh, her marriage name. Oh, 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 okay. She was married to Hamp Banks. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, that was right around the same time that I left. That you know, she pulled out. Uh, he pulled her out. Uh, uh, things were getting out of hand mm -hmm. uh, with the band and everything. So, Bubs, Bubba, which we used to call him, was able to go over to Motown and procure a deal. Uh, through uh, through Barry and uh, Jeffrey Bourne was the producer, and uh, and so we did the tracks for a whole new thing. You know, this is just again. I don't know if it's just like too much like good music going on in the seventies or something. Because like if you listen to this now, it's like oh my god, this is this is brilliant. Let's listen to a song from that. Uh, we're gonna let's listen to a whole new thing and talk about some of this music because this is this is funky too. play on this whole record yeah did, did you guys tour for this or this is beautiful i love it so much we uh we did a few gigs i think we did the roxy and opened up for Smokey and a couple other things okay. 
they ended up going to Europe. Uh, I think they were opening up for Marvin Gaye. But at that point, I was with Robin Trower at, right after the Rose thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, But yeah, Truman Thomas um, had a lot to do with the production on that. Um, he played organ and he uh, arranged the horns. Did you know? He did a lot of stuff on that record. Uh, he's passed away now, but mm-hmm. yeah, Truman played with uh, Johnny Guitar Watson and a lot of the L.A. cats. You have a good relationship with uh, Rose? Oh, absolutely, yeah. To this day, I mean, yeah. To this day? To this day, yeah. I mean, you know, that whole Sly and the Family Stone thing, man, it was like, it seemed, I don't know. It was like, I just got, you know, adopted, like, you know what I mean? Right. It was like, <laughs> you're one of us. I remember, I remember uh, one night in the hotel, um, you know, uh, uh, I was riding with Sly. We went to the studio. He's like, come on, Russ, I want you to ride with me. And I'm going to go to the studio and make the tracks hot. I said, make the tracks hot? What do you mean? He said, just make them hot, right? So he would take the tracks and EQ them and stuff. I didn't know what he was doing. But mm-hmm. but uh, and I was, every now and then I would get like a little maybe apprehensive or anxious about the state of things. And he would tell me, uh, Use in this band, buddy. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> let's so, check out. Uh, let's check out. Rights all right as well from the same album. And uh, another Freddie Stone creation. Another Freddie Stone creation. Rights yeah. all right. Rights all right. Good old Freddie. As a matter of fact, the same drummer Michael that played on. Oh yeah. Organized. Yeah, he's on this too. Mm-hmm. Come to See? think of it, yeah. He knows some songs. Yeah. That high register little bass line underneath the little break, that's, that's so beautiful, man. You guys should get like a, a Nobel Prize in like song introductions. <laughs> right. A Nobel Prize in song introductions, man, right? Like yeah. every like the intro to all these songs, man, they're just so beautiful. Thank you, man. And then Appreciate when the vocal that. comes in, it's, yeah. such a great, it's such a great... Uh, yeah, Freddie had that same knack, man. I mean, Freddie was a great writer. Uh, and correction, that is Ted Sparks on drums, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um we, Ted Sparks did Ted that Sparks whole Ted Sparks on drums? Yeah, I was thinking of the uh, other guy. But yeah, Ted Sparks, he uh, went on to play with Natalie Cole, and he played on a, a lot of Natalie's hits, too. Nice, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you remember who, who's like playing horns on those? Cuts? That's Pat Rizzo, mm-hmm. uh, Jerry Martini, and Cynthia. Jerry Martini and Cynthia on this album? Three pieces, yeah. Three pieces. I thought so. Yeah. I thought so. 
How? I think Plaz Johnson um, did a few tracks, too. He's one of those L.A. heavy session cats down there. I think he took a solo on something on that record. I'm not sure, but essentially it was Pat, Cynthia, and Jerry. Wow, man. I wish I could just be on a flying wall watch all these sessions. <laughs> Later on, um, you did. She did a. She did the album in two thousand eight. Uh, let's take a listen to "Sooner or Later." This is also by Rose Banks. So the first one we were playing is from seventy six. This is from two thousand eight. Let's listen to. And how'd you get this, man? <laughs> I got this. Uh, your your manager. Oh, he sent that to you. Yeah, okay. yeah. Your manager told me I should check this out. Right, man. <laughs> I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared. I've been yeah. waiting to do this interview, man. Yeah, Kurt told me, he says, man, he's done his homework. <laughs> 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 All right, cool. Cool. So this is uh, Sooner or Later. of uh, like, like palm like palm action or uh, the, ba- the bass tone on this one it's thick but it's like it's really distinct man it sounds like how are you slapping that it sounds like you're like hitting it a lot with your palm or something yeah there's like that. A, there's some muting going on and stuff mm-hmm. and then there's some finger action too um, um, that's what the song called for to me you know I mean it was so beautiful man and I just didn't want to you know, uh, you know, regulate it to just a popping sound. You yeah, know? right, I wanted right, to, right. I wanted to bring some some fullness to it as well, you know. But, uh, yeah, we were going down to L.A., and um, this guy, Reggie Harris, uh, he was an executive for General Motors. He was flying us down to L.A. from the Bay Area every week to record these songs. I think we did about 10 songs. And, uh, man. Flying you down weekly from the Bay Area to L.A. to, to record? record. Yeah, he's putting this up in... Uh, Extended stay holiday in, and we go to uh, Pee Wee Studio. I can't remember Pee Wee's name. Uh, he was a great bass player too. He had a studio in Strawberry Ranch, and we recorded all those songs there. Nice. That was the whole band, minus Larry, minus Sly. It was everybody. It was Rose, Cynthia, Jerry, me, Freddie, uh, Greg, whole band. Mm. Wow, so you guys really always help each other out. All through the years. Yeah, that's how it should have been, you know. Yeah. Uh, I know Cynthia and Jerry, they were inseparable, man. They did everything together from Prince to you name it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got into uh, the Family Stone experience uh, 
uh, maybe five, six years back mm -hmm. uh, with Cynthia and Jerry. Uh, Fred Ross was singing lead and a uh, uh, couple of guys from the Bay Area. We had a great band, man. It was really, really authentic as far as trying to recreate that slide. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Let me ask you, since since you mentioned that, man, what, what do you think, um, uh, talking about the Grammys, right? Mm-hmm. What was it, 2007, they did the Sly Tribute. Right. You know, they had, uh, who was it, Aerosmith come out and Dude from Rune 5 or whatever. Chili Peppers come out. Then you guys come on stage. But I felt like they didn't do a good job of explaining who was on stage. I agree with you. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, once Sly came out, everybody should have left that stage. Whoever was in charge of mm -hmm. that Whoever the stage manager was. You mean all the... the all of that. Aerosmith, flavor of the month. Know, yeah. All of that. Should yeah. not have been on that stage, man. It yeah, because they were still on there during that whole bit. Didn't want to leave. Randy Jackson, too. I mean, he's standing there, you know, trying to play bass. and was like, <laughs> Were they man, supposed to leave? Or yeah, they, they should have left, man. <laughs> Just I mean, out of respect. Yeah, they should have left out of respect. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You know, but I mean, they, this they is sly. Well, we got to be right. part of this. Yeah, you yeah. can't be all in the background. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> so was kind of like dorking out then. Like they couldn't, they didn't know how to act. Man, Steve Perry, man. Come on with Aerosmith. <laughs> what are you going to do with Sly? You know what I'm saying? Come right. on, man. I mean, you know, he's a great player and everything, but, you know, he shouldn't have been there. Uh, Randy Jackson shouldn't have been there. Mm -hmm. That horn section that was backing up Patrice, great players, but everybody should have left. Man. Yeah. Right. It should have been the essential band up there. Uh, unbeknownst to you guys, maybe even Larry showed up. He showed up. Larry showed up at this at the last minute. We were sound checking, and at the sound check, nobody was on stage, right, mm -hmm. except for the band. Okay. <laughs> Larry walks in, and I'm like, "Wow, Larry's here!" Right. So, I immediately relinquished my stand uh -huh. so Larry could come up, right. Uh -huh. And so I tell, I think it was Jerry. Jerry Rubenstein or some one somebody that was there, you know, behind the whole slight thing. Look, dude, man, Larry's here, man. You can just cash me out and I'll go home or, or whatever. And they was like, no, man, no, no, just just stay and listen. I was like, okay, I'll stay and listen, but cash me out first, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so I'm like, man, this is the whole band, man. This is gonna be a treat for me. Mm. And 30 minutes later, they're like, Rusty, you gotta play. I'm like, what? What? I'm like, why? What happened? He said, well, Larry says he's sick and he can't play. I'm like, mm. in 30 minutes he got sick? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man, what happened? So so anyway, I ended up playing. And then, But then once again, I'm agreeing with both of you guys, man. It's like everybody should have got off of that stage, man. Yeah, and the I just remember when it happened, uh, I actually... Cause I went, back, I wound up going back to uh, school later in life. Mm -hmm. So I, when I was about, I guess I was about uh, thirty-three at that time. I was getting ready to graduate at UC Berkeley, and I actually was taking Ricky Vincent's class, uh, Ricky Vincent, history of funk writer. Mm -hmm. uh, his class um, from uh, from bebop to hip hop class. Right. And I remember the day after whatever the next class was after that aired. He's like, okay, let's talk about the Grammys. And I remember just the thing that everybody was saying was like, we knew who was on the stage, but the whole point of the thing is the Grammys, you're trying to show everybody watch, watching at home 
who these people are that they might not know every detail. Mm-hmm, right. And it's just such an opportunity missed. And it's interesting. I actually never heard that point of view that you said before that everybody was kind of dorking out and could not get their 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 self off the stage or whatever. I don't know if people were people taking selfies at that time. No, uh-huh. they weren't taking selfies, but I but, mean they were like so enamored with the fact that I mean Sly had been missing for a long time. You gotta remember that, right? And here he is on this Of course. He's he's on a national TV on this, you know, grand stage. I mean, it's almost like uh, a, catal- a catalyst. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like a catalyst for him to bounce oh, from yeah. and just do the whole thing however he want to do it again right now right. after this, mm-hmm. right? But oh in everybody's head, from John Legend to Fantasia to yeah. all of them, right. I got to be part of this. I remember you that. Know, I can't remember what the song was, Family Affairs, some song, and everybody's joining in, and everybody's like, come on, man, this is Sly, man, this is for him. That makes me feel like maybe a lot of those cats, they don't know they don't know who they're standing in front of or something. I don't know. Um, like if the Beatles were getting back together, I wouldn't go stand in front of George Harrison. That's right. Makes right? sense. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So like if, if everybody, if, if the family's up there, why is everybody just kind of standing? And he ran off. Yeah. I mean, he got, you know. What did you all think of that when that happened? I didn't blame him. I, you know, it's like, man, uh-huh. I don't blame felt, me, man. Felt the same way. Yeah, man. You know, and, He's like, what is this? What are we doing? And I can't remember who it was. If it was Randy Jackson or somebody came up to me while we were playing. And um, he was like, who was it? It wasn't Birdie and White. It was either Randy Jackson, some bass player, I can't remember, came up to me while we we're on stage playing. It's like, can I sing Larry's parts? <laughs> oh, no, he didn't. I'm telling you, man, I, I, I think it might have been Randy, but I'm not sure. It was somebody that's, that's you know, so pretty foolish. well known, you know, pretty well known. Can I sing Larry? Oh, I'll tell you who it was. It was Niles Rogers. Uh, okay. It was Niles Rogers. That he sounds was, like somebody that should know better, man. Can I sing Larry's parts? I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that serious to me, man. You know, but but um, I mean, and remember, ladies and gentlemen, this is a live television broadcast we're talking about. This wasn't like just some show where people are asking these questions, jumping on stage. That's probably why they're acting that way because it was on television. Yeah, wow. jumping front. I, I, I truly believe that was Niles Rogers. I mean, because and I remember looking to my left and Randy Jackson was standing there with a bass, right? I'm like, why are you? You know, yeah, what the? It's crazy. <laughs> That's enough of that, man. Yep. Well, well, gosh, I always wondered about that. Thank you uh, for mm-hmm. letting us know some of that behind the scenes. Yeah. And like, that's interesting. You said like they could have that could have been jumping point, but he scared the man away, scared him off. I yeah. love that. I like his I liked his blonde mohawk. I right. like how he's looking. Right. I was ready. But yeah, I remember that the next class I went to, he was like, "All right, let's talk about the Grammys. Yeah. Let's let's talk about um, Temptations. Let's talk about Temps. I love the Temptations." That's my favorite kind of Motown singing group, my personal favorite. And they were doing some interesting stuff in the 70s. You know, they did stuff with uh, Funkadelic, Billy Bass Nelson, right. and uh, Eddie Hazel. Right. Uh, this tune, uh, we're going to talk about Wings of Love. This is pretty much a family production. This is just, for me, this is like Sly. Listen to Sly with Temptations. Right. Temptations on top. Let's check that out. Uh, this song's actually called Up the Creek, as in without a paddle, y'all. Up a creek without no paddle. I hate when that happens. Yeah. 
<laughs> Isn't this um? This is a this is like a sly written song, right? You wrote this song. Um, this is once again Truman Thomas, man. Did the horn arrangements. Mm. As a matter of fact, the little solo that comes after this hook uh-huh. is a vocal solo that he sang. Oh. Truman Thomas, man, he was uh, a lot, very much involved with this whole record. And by the way, on the same record, um, there's a song called China Doll, right? Mm-hmm. That's all Freddie. That's all Freddie bass, guitar. I think he might even play some keys on it. Wow, so they had Freddie in pretty hard on this album with The Temptations. Yeah, I mean, once again, they were getting ready to release a single on Freddie. I mean, uh, How You Like Me Now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were digging what he was doing, man. Um, but uh, he uh, he held up the uh, the production. He said, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny, though. I remember listening to this, uh, riding down Sunset Boulevard one day, and... Uh, 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 looked out the window at the stop sign, and, and uh, it was uh, Charlie Wilson and and uh, his brother Robert okay. and Dennis Edwards were standing on the corner, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" And Dennis like, "Yeah, we got to do something, man." And this is what happened. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's funny how things work out, man. Uh, yeah, man, it's just another example, of just something beautiful. That's like, I guess there's so many beautiful badass tunes at the time, and we we're just spoiled for riches. Uh, nowadays, I mean, you listen to a song like that, like you can't even believe what's going on. I don't even know if like today's listening artists, some of these whippersnappers know where to begin. And that's where that's what this podcast is about. We're trying to just kind of keep this going, keep it in the history books, get all the get all the details about how it was made, how it was conceived, and all that beautiful stuff. Now, one thing that's interesting is you went over to playing with Trower, Robin Trower. That's an interesting change. And yeah. that's with the drummer. Um, Bill Lorden. Bill Lorden. So did he bring you into that? That started around when you were doing the Rose Banks album, you said? Yeah, that was right after that. Um, You're touring and stuff like that? Yeah, I was doing uh, a little touring with Rose. But basically, at the, at the time that that opportunity presented itself, I was up in Vancouver, Canada with Willie and the Wild Bunch. Once again, Willie Sparks from Grand Central Station. It was mm. his band. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guitar player that you just heard on Up the Creek, David Stallings. Okay. Uh, and by the way, the drummer on that is Willie Sparks' brother, Ted Sparks. That's the one that went on with Nellie Cole. Okay. Uh, Ray White, a bunch of cats, you know, had a great group, man, up in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Columbia Records was interested in us. And um, I, got a, I got a call from Bill to... Uh, come to L.A. and uh, audition for Robbins. So I said, okay. So that morning I flew down to L.A. They picked me up and went to uh, some soundstage in Hollywood and uh, played, and Robin was like, okay, I like you. Uh, <laughs> come back in a couple of days, right? So I went back and did the gig in Vancouver. A couple of days later, I was at the Holiday Inn in L.A. and waiting for Trower and them to finish up their tour. And from there went over to uh, London. Wow. Wow. Let's let's listen. Let's get a taste of what we're talking about. Let's listen to uh I think we got Sweet Wine of Love set up to check out. This is from an album called In City Dreams. Yeah. Yeah. In City Dreams. This is Robin Trower with Rusty Allen playing bass. Mm-hmm. 
Guitar players' record—they're really make, letting the bass talk on that. Yeah. Now, what, what, what was that scene like? Like uh, that's a smaller band. That's yeah. That's just a three-piece: bass, guitar, drums, and a vocalist. And man, uh, <laughs> what um, was it? That must have been like different, man. You're like, hey, here's the bass. Well, well, I mean, man, I loved it. I mean, I remember when uh, Bill Lord was getting ready to leave uh, Sly. We were on a private plane, and I. Uh, heard him listening to uh, uh, Two Rolling Stone or something, and Robin was solo, and I was like, man, because I'm going to tell you, man, first of all, when Hendrix hit the scene, I remember distinctly riding back from San Jose with Johnny Talbot after a gig, mm -hmm. and some underground FM station played Rainy Day. Mm. And, man, when I heard Jimmy's, Jimmy, wow, 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 when I heard that, I was like, oh, this is it right here for me, right? And my real dream was to play with him. But uh, Sly came along. That was cool. But Your real I, dream was to play with Hendrix. With Hendrix. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, no. everything about that dude, that man. Sense. I loved him. and But Trower, to me, was kind of close to that, you know. Uh, okay. It was soulful enough for me to want to get involved. Uh, the lead uh, singer, Jimmy Doerr, believe it or not, his favorite vocalist was... Gerald Austin from the Manhattans. Mm. And man, that cat could sing like a bird, man. But I mean, that whole vibe there was soulful to me. And some of, you know, we had some great gigs, man, as a three piece with a singer, dude. I mean, if you listen to the King Biscuit Flower Power Hour live uh, in New Haven, Connecticut in 1976. Okay. From cut one to the last one, dude, it's nothing but power and just <laughs> killing. Robin was like on fire that night, and I mean, I was just loving it. And it, it seemed like I remember Bill Lord's parents came and saw us in Minnesota, and I met his mom and his father. And at the end of the gig, she came to me. She said, "You and Bill just play so good together," <laughs> you know. And she's like, you know, sixty something years old. But if you listen to that record, you you'll see what she was saying. Yeah. man. it's it was just incredible. And I remember the first time hearing that that record. You know, Bill Lord mailed me the CD. I had no idea. And when I heard it, I was like almost moved to tears, man. Mm. It was just that deep, man. Well, and didn't Duar, uh, wasn't he the bass player also before? He was so the he bass player. he just went to vocals, huh? Yeah, he just went to vocals. I guess Robin wanted to try something different. And Bill was there and he was like, man, they were considering Willie Weeks. Willie didn't want the gig. Mm. 
I don't know why, but he didn't want it. And it's funny because, you know, uh, he cut with Eric Clapton later, you know, mm-hmm. did some live shows with Eric. But uh, so they called me and, man, it worked. Uh, I was going to ask you also, like, uh, I guess you said you've always been ready to be in a band like this because you're thinking about Hendrix. Was it, is it different, uh, like the process, like uh, working the songs out, working in the studio? Was this recorded live again, or was it getting into separate tracks now? No, we uh, we pretty much recorded all the basics live mm-hmm. at a Criteria in uh, Miami, Florida. Uh, but prior to that, when I went to London, they had some big, you know, farmhouse out in the country, you know, the English, English hills, and mm-hmm. had gear set up in there, man. We was rehearsing, dude. Uh, not only for the studio, but for the tour as well. So once we cut the record, we were gone. And But uh, the process was pretty much the same. You know, Robin would bring the bring the idea in, and we would kind of go over the chords, and then I would decide then and there what I was going to do with it, and we'd take a couple of takes. Okay, I like this, I don't like that, and mm-hmm. do a few overdubs, and that was it. Nice. If you listen to... Uh, Somebody calling, man. That is like such a soulful song, man. Uh, off of the In City Dreams record, and uh, oh, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, Blue Bluebird. That's another one, man. That's like you know, uh, for that time, man. People were still like you know vibing and yeah. you know getting high and you know flower power and the whole thing, man. Right. If you listen to Bluebird, man, it'll just <laughs> take you up in the mountains. And you know, <laughs> it's great, man. Uh, and by the way, y'all, listen to the sound of my voice. This album was a gold album. Uh, actually, it did really well. Uh, let's check out on one from, uh, this is another album with Trower, uh, Caravan to Midnight, and this song is called King of the Dance. Keep on dancing. King of the Dance. See, it all connects. King of the Dance. Okay, I don't remember this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing, am I hearing bass chords? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you uh, when you play in a smaller group, a smaller uh, lineup, you get to bust out stuff like that, right? You get to do right? a lot more, chords. yeah. Uh, 
Man, that guy Jimmy Dewar, he was raised in the ghetto in Glasgow, Scotland, right? And you can hear it in his singing, man. The, the ghettos of Glasgow, <laughs> yeah. Scotland? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was and, about to ask you about that. Yeah. Is that authentic lyric? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, um, see the ghettos everywhere, y'all. Yeah. yeah. And Don Davis was a producer. They, you know, Robin knew exactly what he was trying to do. Don Davis produced all of Johnny Taylor's records, right? Okay. So they flew him in from Detroit and. Had him like oversee the whole project. That's why it's got that vibe to it. You know what I'm saying? If you listen, if you listen to the whole record, it's got an R and B thing yeah. to it. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. It does. Even though it's rock, you know. Come on, come on. Well, a lot of a lot of rock groups do that. They try to get that R and B flavor. Yeah. You guys got it. I know. I know. Um. Uh. Uh. Dang, what's the name of that group? Uh. Uh. Had a great singer. I can't think of the name of it, but they uh they would incorporate you know uh a lot of r&b uh producers i can't think of his name right now uh, rock group yeah it was a rock group i i i want to say it's not not like jake Giles band or something. no 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 i'll think of it maybe later but the guy the lead vocalist was killing man i'll think of it cool um yeah so how long did you play for trower all together like how long are you part of that outfit I was there probably maybe two and a half years. Uh, that kind of ended badly for me. Um, uh, how so? Uh, um, once again, I was like very young, naive, and I wasn't really caring about business as what well, you know so much as playing. Right. And uh, uh, their manager at the time, Wilf Wright, um, he was managing Robin. He was managing a group called UFO and a couple other groups. And uh, UFO. Man, he was ripping everybody off, right? And mm. I had a contract. Like you said, they shipped gold. They shipped gold mm -hmm. when that album was released because they already knew. Chrysalis knew. And uh, I had a 15% contract, and Will Wright called me into his suite. 15% of sales? Yeah, sales. Oh, okay. And uh, Will Wright called me in his suite at the Sunset Marquee and gave me $2,500. And I'm like, what's this, man? He was like, it's $2,500 for a stay. That's a lot. I was like, no, man. <laughs> so I called my mom and I said, mom, you know what? I'm finna shoot somebody, right? <laughs> so seriously, so then the next 10 minutes, the police were at my door and it was like, you know, your mom called. Oh, you got you got that mad. Yeah, I, I was hurt, man, mm. because cause I remember um, there was one little mistake on the In City Dreams record, right? And I'm living in Oakland. They're from England and they ship their Jaguars and stuff over to the States and oh. they're staying in these mansions in Miami, right? Wow. Wow. They fly me all the way back to Criteria to fix a mistake that took more, no more than four beats. What? And I remember Robin picked me up in his Jag and he was like, Rusty, um, I just, just want to warn you, man, I want you to be careful. You're getting ready to make a lot of money, man. You know, you're getting ready to get a lot. And I'm like, I'm bubbling inside, finally, right? Right, right. The slide took care of me real good. Now, don't get me wrong, but this was, like, major. Mm -hmm. And so I had a home picked out and everything in Mirror Woods and whole nine, man. So when Wolf gave me that money, man, it just put me over the top. And uh, But in spite of that, I still did another record with him. I'm thinking that they'll make it right, you know. Mm -hmm. So I went and did Caravan at Midnight and got zero for that. And then... Um, Wow. Wilf Wright told me that, man, we can't take you on the next tour and Jimmy's going back to bass. And so I kind of like looked at Robin, you know, with all of that too. But yeah. come to find out that he was a victim as well. Not as bad as I was, but uh -huh. he was. But I think he tried to make it right by 
sending me royalties from uh, the live record in New Haven. Oh, good. Um, yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's that's really interesting chapter uh, period in your uh, musical career. Absolutely. And, yeah, and, and these days, we're writing another chapter. You're keeping on keeping on with uh, Simple Rules. What's that album title about? Well, um, the title is about... Uh, and this is his latest album, y'all, 2018, yeah. Simple Rules. It's my first. And, and, and basically, you know, the songs are simple. There's not nothing really complicated about them. But even more important than that, than that is like uh, in life, man, if you keep things simple, um, you know, it, it shouldn't be so bad. I mean, you know, a lot of my problems were self-inflicted for me not keeping things simple, right? Right. Uh, and, you know, it's like, you know, in, in my spiritual awakening, it's like I've never been like a cutthroat person or anything like that. But, man, if you don't defraud nobody, you know, if you don't, you know, take advantage of people, man, if you, you know, if you just try to do the right thing and keep things simple, mm -hmm. then, you know, life will be a lot easier because the Bible says that man that's born of a woman is but for a few days and full of trouble. So trouble's going <laughs> to find you anyway. I don't care if you got billions of dollars or whatever. Right. So that so so the whole thing was like, man, just keep things simple, right? That's yeah. a that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, we checked out a tune from there earlier, and we're gonna check out another one here. Uh, the next album we want to check out. This is called "Do What You Wanna," and this is featuring Downer Mob. Yeah, that's Corey and um, Corey and uh, Tommy. Uh, I got uh, all Trina Grayson and Lisa. They were background vocalists with Bobby Womack when we were all there together. Wow. And uh, it just we just had a little fun with a little groove, right? Bobby Womack was friends with Sly, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He laughs knowingly. Yeah. Yeah, they were good friends. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we we'll leave it like that. <laughs> Do what you want to, y'all. This is from Rusty Allen's album, Simple Rules. Featuring Downer Mob. You can do what you want to do. You can do what you want to do. Mm. Baby, all right. No, I ain't tripping. You leave it with me. It's all right. I'm just the dopest. I'm known for pushing that hard white audio dope. I keep them hooked because every line is a quote. And I just hope you got some stamina because we ain't plan on stopping. Let the joint get enrolled in the click over steady popping. The look I give a convincer to get them panties dropping. She asked me if I do this shit. I tell her, baby, off the hip. I'm rarely stepping out. No, I don't leave the house. Unless it's deposits to stimulate my bank account Substantial numbers, no we ain't talking small amounts But now I'm here so just show me what this shit all about Now that I'm here I ain't got no time for the hold up Got plenty space in the whip and I'm about to lap these hoes up There ain't no function in the city that can hold us Finna tear the building up and have it looking like the tow bus You can do what you wanna do, it's I 
mission, I love to keep it organic If you drift, I never rush to push the button, label panic I just play my position, keep it cool, calm, collected My temperature staying neutral when the situation hectic All the boundaries still intact, long as you ain't overstepped it Cause I'm here for a good time, not a long time Presented with opportunity, I push a hard line Drink my Hennessy straight and chase with some white wine One time for my people in the building, said he trapping Whatever you need, know they gotta tell him to tap in We never tapping out like a submission in bouts Going in and make my play, scoop her up, then I bounce that's what, Yeah, I show him how the that's what I'm always, uh, Jay, that's where I'm always riding drummers. I'm always telling drummers, listen to my bass line. Mm-hmm. Just hit that kick drum. Yeah. Every time you hear a bass hit, hit that kick drum. I yes, love sir. it when it's, I love that style. Yeah. I love it. It's gotta be locked, man. It's gotta yeah. be locked. Yeah, that's me and Freddie playing guitars on that. Um, uh, oh, oh, is that is that Freddie on guitar? Yeah, so I was going to ask you who was on guitar. Yeah, like, every time Freddie. I hear a good guitar, it turns yeah. out to be Freddie. Yes, yeah, Freddie mm-hmm. and myself. Um, Great. And, uh, so you guys and, still running. Yeah, and you and you can hear that that sly influence in it. I think you know mm-hmm. with the uh, chord structure and you know um, and Freddie's feel. I mean, he's playing like that little wah wah fifths, you know. And, yep. Yes, yeah, it's it fun. It was fun. Oh my gosh, uh, that's great, man. Uh, what? Are, how, how are we? Uh, you playing shows? You playing out shows with these tunes? Well, uh, I did uh, the album release back in August. Was it July? August? Yeah. At Uptown. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We saw that video yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah. and then I did a, I did a quick little thing um, uh, for the Taste of Oakland uh, through Dwayne Wiggins mm-hmm. in the Tonys. Dwayne Wiggins. Yeah. Uh, but uh, right at at the moment, um, management is trying to hook me up with um, with some agents to uh, do some European stuff, and hopefully uh, uh, it'll take me to the next level, man. I mean, I don't know. Like I said at the outset, you know, wherever it takes me is... I'm really, I'm willing to go, but uh, man, it's just a beautiful thing with all this going on, and I'm I'm just loving it, you know. Well, man, uh, we're just we're just glad to have you here and mm-hmm. that you took the time to talk to us. I was just hoping to make something that could preserve um, some historical document of uh, what it's like to be behind the scenes of the music that you've done in your career. Thank you so much. And how you got there, and how some of the, how some of these these sausages, these funky sausages, are made in the factory. <laughs> yes, sir. Because I don't think a lot of people, um, I think a lot of people would like to know, but I don't think they really know how it's done. And just, we're just so honored to talk with you this afternoon. My pleasure, I know you my were, honor. I know you were fussing and fighting on the freeway to get here. <laughs> wow, and, man. And uh, that's just, that's just like how, what it's like in the East Bay, right? Absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, coming from Stockton, you never know what to expect. But <laughs> I mean, I think it speaks to my, my overall tenacity because in the outset, I mean, if I can put up piggyback bass amp and a, and a bass on a bus and ride across town. I can definitely drive from Stockton. <laughs> <laughs> no you I can handle this. Yeah, I, I can, can handle this. Man. <laughs> you guys, uh, one more time. This is Rusty Allen. Where can where can we get Simple Rules? Where are the best places to purchase this music? I bought it on Amazon. Yeah, it downloaded Amazon. in like one second. Yes, sir. Amazon, iTunes, Apple, uh, Spotify. It's all, it's all there. Great. And by the way, guys, that's R-U-S-T-E-E, Rusty. I can thank Sly for that, too, because it was like, man, you're not going to be Rusty. You're going to be Rusty. (laughs) 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 He changed my name, too. (laughs) Well, kind of like Jimmy. He got the J-I-M-I. You got the E-E. Right. (laughs) So he's the one that did that. Yeah, (laughs) Sly would always do stuff like that. I remember we were like backstage and this couple came backstage, you know, and a sly looks at him and says, "Okay, you get with him, and you get with him, and <laughs> and they did Took it." Apart. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "You need to be with him." And you, yeah, 
It was whatever Sly said, people wow. did. It was crazy. So he was arranging love connections too, not just music. <laughs> exactly. He was arranging everybody's lives, man. I'm telling you. Right on, man. And by the way, uh, you guys, one more time. Rusty plays Allen Eden five string sonorous basses. Yes, they're sir. beautiful basses. I've yes, seen sir. it. It's beautiful and they sound great. And he uses Bartolini pickups. Thanks to E. Pruitt and Todd over at Allen Eaton, man. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. That's what's up. You got are you what kind of amps are you using? Right now I'm using uh EBS. I got them loaded with uh Eminence Delta 10Bs mm -hmm. and uh, you know, um Crown Power Amps, yeah. uh, uh Sam's um Sam um Sam Sans amp amp uh Ragmount preamp and yeah. a uh, uh DBX uh compressor. Any pedals on the floor? Nothing on the floor. I mean, it's like I want to get into that, but I mean, I guess I'm a purist in that sense. Though, right. where I mean, I know a lot of cats are doing that. I mean, um, uh, my man, um, uh, uh, man, I can't think of his name. I mean, uh, the one that wears the uh, goggles and everything, um, bad cat man. Uh, Who Bootsy? No, not Bootsy. <laughs> um, God, what's his name, man? I, I listen to him all the time. Play the bass. Um, I'm having a bass player. Yeah, bass player. Uh, he was at Nam with uh, Eric Gale's uh, oh, Mono. Mono? Oh, yeah, yeah no, yeah, all he's, that. Man, he's got some oh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That red tensor pedal is that what that is? Yeah, this goes the tape speed backwards and forwards. Because he does some, he'll stop and they go like. Whoa. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. It's called Red Panda. They got one called the Tensor. Just look up Red Panda, but it's a gray one. That look I up what? Up. Red Panda. Red I was looking Panda. at it. I was looking it up today. Red Panda, yeah. I mean, so there's guys using pedals. You know, I haven't really got into pedals. Yeah. I used to use a Mutron, a Wawa, and a Fuzz Tone back mm -hmm. in the days. But why'd but, you stop using them? Why? Because the music I was playing wasn't really that. calling for. Yo, it, I man. don't need anything extra. Yeah. I'm about to get a, a EBS uh, envelope filter mm -hmm. and use it for the guitar. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm all about tone. I mean, if I can get some good tone, I'm happy. How do you straight straight to the amp? Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. <clears throat> Right on, man. Uh, great. Well, I can keep talking to you for the next two weeks, and I got four million more questions, but I think we got enough from the man today, right, Jay? Oh, man, totally. <laughs> Give thanks for this. Yeah, and we're gonna. I'm going to ask um, our humble engineer has been doing a great job to uh, do something he hasn't quite sent up for and take a pick of the three of us before we uh, let our man Rusty out. Can you and guys listen to a little bit of re-rocking? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, that you just remind me I'm gonna introduce the next song before uh before we end here. Uh you got a tune with George Clinton. Right. Tell me about this title, Re Rocking of a Rock Star. Re Rocking of a Rock Star. What's behind that title? Oh, uh, there's a there was a a studio in San Francisco on second and Folsom. Um, I guess you'd call it a pop up studio. It was there for a couple of years and gone. It's called Off Planet. Oh, yeah, and I was over there with yeah. I was over there with Hamp with Bubba and uh, George was coming in and some other people were coming in and so I had recorded this groove and uh, at Off Planet and so I asked George I said George can you do something on this and uh, he was like yeah Russ sure you know and um, man all I remember is right before the tape rolled. He took a hit, right? <laughs> and he's man, he inhaled sin like forever. And then he blew that hit out and then he was like, okay, roll the tape. And what you hear is what happened. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like re-rocking of a rock star. So he was basically talking about me. 
mm-hmm. re-rocking is like, you know, you re-rock cocaine, you yeah. re-rock, you know what I mean? It's like the rock of Gibraltar. Right. I mean, he just made all of these, you know. Um, you analogies. Know, yeah, rock. analogies about rocks, man. And this is what happened. Wow, that's the so, way he could do it. And so as we play out with our wonderful guest, Rusty Allen, on the debut pilot episode of Aced Out Podcast, here I'm Ace Allen with Jay Stone. This is Rusty Allen with the mighty George Clinton, re-rocking of a rock star. Thanks again for coming, man. My pleasure, Thank man. You my so honor. Much. Oh, my, my God. It's my good pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jay. So much fun. One love. Get out the way, I rep the town and not the bay I'm just that stone cold nigga, keep some stone cold hitters If they talking like some animals, then we can go gorillas You claim to keep it a hundred, we a thousand times thriller Me and Tommy back to back, now that's some real mob figures Hennessy, Purple E, you know they all coming with us Here we go loop the loop Funkin' around the clock It's like I just saw Medusa Turn you into stone and a rock Oh, gosh. I mean, we just downloaded so much information. <laughs> I like that tune right there. That was dope. Yeah, right? So much beauty and soul. Uh, how do you think we did today, Jay? Man, I think today it will be a night, a day that I will remember forever. You know, just being in here with a legend like that. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, you know, the energy was good. The, the conversation was smooth. and He know, was cool, too. Oh, man, real nice down-to-earth cat. That was, you know. But he had some serious information. I was really glad to hear uh, some behind the scenes on. Um, I wasn't even going to bring up the Grammys. Yeah. But kind of, he kind of reminded me because he was talking about playing with uh, the Family Stone. Yeah. So I just I just went for it. I figured I asked for. It. We got some really interesting information about that. I got to go check that out again. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure everybody will now after hearing what. Yeah. Happened, oh, you mean you know? YouTube that appearance? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 I know what you mean. Right? I watched it that night. <laughs> yeah i remember that <laughs> night it was weird man he just ran off stage and he gave all the formal one and how all that went down yeah but uh yeah um uh, we should we should sound some shout some people out before we go by the way uh b crit uh rusty's a uh, main man who hooked up this whole uh interview this is the pilot episode of the aced out podcast i might have to retire i don't think i'm gonna do follow-up <laughs> episode i quit man <laughs> 
no, no. I'm going to keep going. I, I, I can't stop now. I got to go back to Atlanta. It's good to see you, Jay. Yes, sir. I miss seeing you, man. Damn, man. I haven't seen you since the Bottom of the Hill show. That's right. And I'm feeling disconnected, man. I'm going to go back to Hotlanta tomorrow. And, uh, but I'll be back in a couple months. And we're going to keep doing these podcasts. I'm going to keep coming to Berkeley Live Oak Studios. Wonderful. And uh, who, who can we shout out from the album, man? Oh, we got Ibby Freeman. We got, we got Brother Reggie P. B. Brother Patrick, P. Patrick Owens. Patrick Owens, who's supposed to be here today. We wish you were here. Please come to the next podcast and co-host with us, Pat, because you know you got questions. Rick Campbell. Rick Campbell. Pickle Rick. Randy. Randy Gallery. Like, Randy Gallery <laughs> on the drums. He doesn't like Pickle Rick, by the way. Let's just say Rick Campbell. <laughs> Randy Gallery on the drums. The percussionist extraordinaire Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos Goyam uh, himself. What about uh? What about Osha Verdon Santa oh, Savage? Yeah, Osha Verdon Savage. Uh, who else we got? We got uh, oh man, the piano player Dwayne. They call him Breath. Uh, Breath Romeo. <laughs> uh, Greg Simmons. How about behind Peaches? the Peaches? Right, Peaches. Good man. Yeah, gonna shout everybody out. Oh, also my uh, my old uh, soldier from way back in the day. Uh, Zach Scott, Zachary Scott, no longer with us. Mm. R.I.P. Zach just passed away a couple uh, weeks ago. Mm. I went to a great, very, very positive memorial with him yesterday. And uh, we'll see you again on Ace Out Pad Podcast. Thanks for checking us out. Thank you. Smell Smile you later. Up. Smell you later. <laughs> nice.